So Buchanan only serves one term. Um, and during that term, this John Brown thing happens. And then there's a new presidential campaign. And the presidential campaign turns out to be a rematch between two people who ran against each other for Senate in Illinois, Abraham Lincoln, who lost, and Stephen Douglas, who won. But now they're both from Illinois, and they're both running. Yeah, they're both running for president. But the Democrats can't really get their shit together because some of them are like so pro-slavery at this point that they want someone who's going to run on like, let's, let's just do the Dred Scott decision. Let's, let's spread slavery everywhere. And there are other people who are like, we really don't want this country to fall apart. But the important thing that happens is that a new political party is formed for the first time. The Whig party has kind of fallen apart and you, you kind of got that they really couldn't catch a break, right? And this part, point, the Whigs have dissolved. And instead you have a new political party that the Whigs were mostly Northern, but they also had some good Western supporters and they tried to pull in the South. There's a new political party that basically doesn't try to do that at all. That just says we're from the North and we are against the expansion of slavery and it's called the Republican Party. And their first candidate loses, James Fremont, against James Buchanan. Um, but their second candidate is Abraham Lincoln. And um, it's not clear from the beginning that Lincoln's going to win the election because actually there's, that's not a great strategy is like just having the North. But the Democrats, like I said, are a mess. And they end up having a fight at their convention and half of the people walk out. And so they end up running like three different candidates. Um, and some of them are more pro-slavery, some of them are not, and they split the vote. And Lincoln, who wins 39% of the vote, ends up being elected in the, in the Electoral College because he keeps his group together. And what's really interesting isn't, I mean, Lincoln winning is really fascinating. And I, I, on a, another occasion, I would love to talk for about two hours just about that election and how Abraham Lincoln wins. But uh, what's more interesting is after he's elected, how the South reacts. Because it's, I think, we're again drawing parallels to now. I can't think of another election besides Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump where people truly felt that if the other side won, it was the end of the world. It was the end of the country, right? And the South felt that if Abraham Lincoln, a man who openly said that slavery was wrong, even though he claimed he didn't want to stop it in the South, him being elected president to them spelled the end of the country in their minds. And so immediately upon his election, and remember at this time, it's even longer than now, the period between when someone is elected and when they become president. They get elected in November and then they become president in March. So there's this period of time where James Buchanan is still the president, but everyone knows that Abraham Lincoln is about to become the president. And the South starts meeting and saying, let's leave the country. Let's secede, which is not an idea that had been really seriously floated until the 1850s. And certainly not since the Federalists claimed that they were going to do that in the War of 1812. And um, they start meeting particularly in South Carolina, which has always been the state with the largest slave population and had placed people like John Calhoun doing nullification. And South Carolina chooses in December, just a few months after uh, Lincoln's election, to secede from the United States. Now, what does it mean to secede from the United States? 
you know, Lincoln's claim is that just means a bunch of you got together in a room and said that you were leaving, but it doesn't mean it has any legal standpoint. You can't do that, right? But not only South Carolina, but a number of other southern states choose to leave. Not all of the ones that will eventually choose to leave, leave before Lincoln is elected. So when Lincoln becomes the 16th president of the United States, he is there in a moment when part of the country has said that they're no longer part of the country. And so he faces this question of like, what's he going to do? And Lincoln's message in his first inaugural address is very conciliatory towards the South. He says, I promise you I'm not going to try to take away your slaves. I do not recognize your ability to secede. So in my opinion, you haven't seceded, but I'm not going to send troops down there to harm you in any way. We are going to continue to hold on to federal post offices. We'll continue to hold on to federal forts, but we're at peace and we'll figure this out. And it's at this point that South Carolina, again, the most militant group, makes a fateful decision to fire against one of those federal forts, Fort Sumter, outside of Port in Charleston, South Carolina. And Lincoln had been sending boats in to like give them more food and stuff, but he had not, you know, uh, let them fire. And so what happened? And by the way, the North though they support Abraham Lincoln, are definitely not supportive of um, going to war. Um, and in fact, most Northerners' reactions at first to the South choosing to secede is kind of, well, let them go. Not a problem. But when a group of Southerners fire weapons on a fort, it changes the way people feel. Because if you think of that as if you think of the Southerners as like not an independent country, as just a group of rebels, which Lincoln always referred to them as rebels. He would never refer to them as like the Confederate States of America. And that was an important linguistic choice to frame what was actually happening. If you view that, then these people are terrorists or they're treasonous. And it made people really mad the idea that the U.S. Army would be attacked by its own citizens. And so there are tons of volunteers in the North who say, I'm going to join the Army now. And there's a huge sudden push of support for Lincoln. At the same time, it becomes clear at that point that it, when there is a conflict, um, a bunch of states that are also slaveholding states but that haven't seceded are going to have to choose sides. And most of them choose to now join the Confederacy. So Virginia, most importantly, chooses to secede. And Lincoln goes to the head of the U.S., uh, to an, a general in the U.S. Army, one of the top generals, a guy named Robert E. Lee, and says, um, I want you to lead the army that's going to deal with this. I want you to be the head of the U.S. Army. And Robert E. Lee uh, maybe thinks about it, but he says, uh, I can't lead an army against my own state of Virginia, so I'm going to join Virginia. Um, so now we're into the Civil War, and we could talk so much about the Civil War. But um, what's interesting is to watch how Lincoln evolves through this time period. Because he goes from a guy who was saying, I'm not going to try to stop slavery in the South, to eventually the person who does end slavery. And he had to walk a really tight line because, again, most people in the North were not abolitionists. And the idea that they were going to war for slavery made a lot of people really, really mad. The biggest riot in the history of the United States occurred actually very close to where we are right now in New York City in 1863 when it became, uh, when Lincoln announced the Emancipation Proclamation, which he said he was doing to try to kind of harm the South, like take away their slaves, and then that'll, that'll teach them. Um, but a whole group of New Yorkers say, we don't want to go to war for 
ending slavery. And we also don't want to be involved in this war at all. And there was actually a push in New York City for New York City itself to secede and form its own independent country that would then side with the South. Now, it didn't succeed, right? But, and in part, it's because people were horrified by what, by what happened here, which is that a group of mostly Irish immigrants formed a mob that rioted, mostly against the wealthy and also against blacks. And both of those deserve a little explanation. The, against the wealthy, it was because one of the things that Lincoln did that's really controversial is he institutes the first draft and the draft is like the uh, government's ability to force you to be in the army. And it hadn't done that ever before. Um, and the way that it was set up was if you had a certain amount of money, you could pay to not be in the draft. And that made all these people, many of whom were like new Irish immigrants who had just come from the uh, potato famine, you know, in the last 10 years, or even in the last 10 days, people would literally get off the boat and be told, welcome to America. Now you have to go die for America. And it made them really mad. And that rage was focused on the wealthy who were able to pay their way out. And so huge mansions on Fifth Avenue were just like destroyed. Um, but it was also focused on blacks who were dragged into the streets and lynched. And it was seen as uh, their fault because this war was being fought for them, for slaves. You know, and these were mostly free black people. But most horrifying image from that riot is... Uh, that the orphanage for black children was burned to the ground by this mob. And most of the children were able to escape. Um, but just the idea that people would be so mad, really at Abraham Lincoln, and that their rage would turn on black orphans should just be a reminder that racism was not something where it was like, and the South were the racist ones, and the North were the non-racist ones. You know, it was uh, a very complicated situation. And Lincoln... Part of what makes Lincoln the greatest president um, is that he somehow manages to hold the country together through this time period when they're not only the most divided they've been north-south, but they're also really, really divided within the country. And some of what he does is kind of morally questionable um, and constitutionally questionable too. He seizes all sorts of powers that no president before it had. And he's pretty open about that. He says, I'm doing this, I don't know if it's constitutional. If you think it's unconstitutional, go ahead and impeach me. Um, but whether it's in some cases limiting the freedom of speech for people who are against the war, um, forcing people to join the military, making a lot of decisions under as commander in chief, including the you know the Emancipation Proclamation isn't passed by Congress. Lincoln himself chooses to you know free millions of slaves. Um, these are all things that previous generations would have really felt were really questionable for the president to be doing on his own. And Lincoln's aware that he's doing that, but he feels that it's important for him to do. And he says that the reason he's doing it is because he wants to save the Union, like keep the country together. Um, but it becomes clear as the war goes on. You know, he, he writes in a letter, a famous letter, that he would save the Union even if it meant freeing none of the slaves, and that he would free, save the Union if it meant freeing all of the slaves, that it, really slavery doesn't matter. But by the time he wins his second election, and he almost loses, the Democrats have basically left the country, so there's no southern states voting in this election, but he still almost loses with the states that are left in the north, and it's actually one of the generals who he fired for being a bad general, 
uh, George McClellan, who runs against him. And it, he almost loses. But a couple battles go the right way. Um, and they end up putting down the riot in New York with the army coming here from Gettysburg and actually the military marching through and putting the town under martial law. Um, when he does win that re-election, it's pretty clear that the North is going to win the Civil War. And by now, he's pretty much framing the war as a war that is explicitly about slavery. And if you compare his first inaugural address, where he's talking about, we're not going to take away your slaves, we're not going to do any of this, to his second inaugural address, in which he says, if God wills that every drop of blood drawn with a lash will be paid for by one with the sword, then that will be justified which what that phrase means is that to some extent slavery is the pun that the civil war, which is the most uh, deadly war in the history of the United States. You can combine World War II, World War I, all these other wars. The number of dead is higher um, and just brutal because it happens right here. He's come to a place where he believes that that's like a religious punishment for the sin of slavery. And... It would be interesting to see how a man who felt that, but who also really deeply believed that the country had to be held together. He was not an abolitionist in the sense that he felt that ending slavery is the most important thing. And really in his, you know, the months after that, as it becomes clear they're going to win, he talks a lot about trying to heal the country. And in fact, he made a really radical decision when he ran for re-election. He got rid of his old vice president and he chose a Democrat to be his vice president, a Democrat from the South. It was like a symbolic choice. He said, I know I was the most like radical northern guy. I chose a guy from Maine for my first vice president. This time I'm going to choose a guy from Tennessee who was the only senator from the South who, when the states seceded, stayed, but who had owned slaves in his time. This guy, Andrew Johnson, and who disagrees with like everything that the Republicans stand for, right? So why was he so obsessed with keeping the union together? Well, um, Lincoln was a lawyer, and he really viewed these things as legal questions in many ways. And as a lawyer, I think his perspective was, number one, it's like if you tolerate, basically it's if you tolerate this, his like legal understanding is if you tolerate a group of Americans choosing to just take up weapons and fight against their own government, and you just let them do that because they disagree with a presidential election that was done fairly, then where does that end? Anytime someone doesn't like who the person who's elected president, they can just leave the country. Anytime they disagree with what the majority has passed in Congress, they can just reject it. I mean, in some ways, this is the same idea that made Andrew Jackson so angry, you know? Because how does democracy ultimately function if sometimes the people who don't have the majority can reject that decision? Now, of course, there are limits under the Constitution to what you, the majority can force on the minority. But when Lincoln says in the Gettysburg Address that the question that the war is really about is whether government of the people, by the people, for the people shall perish from the earth. Part of what he's saying is the whole world is watching this country that's like Democratic Republic tear itself to bits over this issue of slavery. And if we allow that to happen, we'll basically be saying that democracy can't work. 
we could go into it. He, he also has an understanding of like when the, when the United States became a country. That's really interesting. Like this view of like, you know, did we declare independence as a bunch of separate states or did we declare independence as one country? Um, and the, the view of the South is that ultimately the states chose to join together into a country and therefore the states can choose to leave. And his view is that we are one country. And so from this legal lawyer standpoint, he's like, this is a contract. And if the contract can be broken, then we don't have a contract. But I mean, the whole country, the whole world's looking to us to see if democracy can work, but hasn't it already been shown that it's not working? If half the country said, I'm not going to listen to you now, they're in this like really bloody civil war. I mean, yeah. why? I don't understand why he was motivated to keep it a union. He talked a lot about his oath of office. And when you become president of the United States, all 45 of these men have stood and said, I, Abraham Lincoln, do solemnly swear that I'll faithfully execute the office of president of the United States and that I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And he felt that it was his having sworn that oath, it was his duty, whether he believed that it was the best thing for the country or not, to preserve the Constitution, that he couldn't just, for his own reasons, think, well, we'd be better off without the Constitution. Like, that would have to be settled through a legal mechanism, not just through yeah. that decision. Also, nobody thought that this war was going to be this terrible at all. Almost everyone thought it was going to be over, like, right away. The first battle, Bull Run, that happens right outside of Washington, D.C., um, people came out with picnic baskets to watch it because they thought it would be over in, like, three hours, you know? Thought the North would win? Yeah. Because it's just like a bunch of random rebels. How's that going to work? They just thought that the U.S. Army was going was gonna to beat this random group of people. Now, it turns out that random group of people actually included some of the most brilliant generals of the U.S. Army who chose to leave. And you know, throughout the Civil War, so many advantages are of the North. They have more people. They have more industry. They have better weapons. But the South has some really good generals who managed to keep the war going for a long time. So I guess another way to try to answer your question is that the decision of the war isn't ever a moment where it's like, let's choose between the whole civil war and, and just letting it go. It's, it's a series of decisions. Do I let them take over the fort that they've just fired on? Do I let the army, you know... Um, do I let the army give up this piece of land? Do I let them invade here? And so there are some points uh, at which Lincoln um, discusses making peace with the South, um, especially once it's clear that they're going to probably win the war. They, they, there's discussion of can they make some sort of agreement. But he's never willing to give in the most important thing that the South wants, which is being independent. Can you just say how Lincoln was killed and why? Sure. Uh, Lincoln was killed by John Wilkes Booth um, as part of a larger conspiracy. They actually planned to kill Lincoln and Johnson and um, William Seward, the Secretary of State. They only managed to kill Lincoln. Um, he was a Confederate sympathizer um, from Virginia. He hated Lincoln for the obvious reasons. Um, the fun, interesting side note is that his brother, Edwin Booth, uh, was the most famous actor in the country um, in New York City. In fact, if you go to Gramercy Park, that private park, uh, there's still a statue of Edwin Booth in the middle of it. So it's like, what if Brad Pitt's brother killed the president? 
basically people decided that it wasn't Edwin Booth's fault and they kept loving Edwin Booth. Um, John Wilkes Booth was hanged um, along with the other conspirators, which included a woman um, named Mary Surratt who owned an inn where they planned uh, the assassinations.